to me, if you break it down to its most basic intention, a charter is your plan. It is your plan for how you're going to move ahead with enablement, whether it's a new discipline or if you're evolving it. And the intent is also to bring everybody along with you so they understand where they participate, where they play, where they're accountable, so that you can be successful on the other side. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Aligning sales enablement stakeholders can feel like herding cats if you don't make sure that everybody's on the same page. The Sales Enablement Charter is an extremely powerful tool to overcome this challenge, to achieve collaboration, transparency, and alignment. Our guest in today's episode has successfully developed and implemented multiple enablement charters, and she'll share with us her insights into the process and how to use the charter as a tool to maximize enablement's business impact. Please welcome the Revenue Enablement Director at Ascent, Amy Robison. Amy, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement. Great to have you. Felix, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Where are you dialing in from today? I am dialing in from Southern Colorado. If you've ever heard of Trinidad, Colorado, it is about 20 miles north of the New Mexico border. Amy, tell us, what is your background and what do you do now? And I also have to ask you, what is one little known fact about Amy Robertson that our listeners should know about? Well, a little bit about me. I am today the Revenue Enablement Director at Ascent. So we have a global team of revenue enablers, which is fantastic. I have been in this space for about 25 years, so an active practitioner. And a fun fact about me, Felix, that everybody should know is that I became vegan about a year ago, and I am a vegan blogger. So all of the fun recipes that I create as I come across them, if they are tasty enough, I share them with the world. And so if you have a hankering to have some vegan delicious food, check out my blog. Awesome. Well, as it happens, I'm just about to uh, switch my diet over a bit to have less processed food. So I might actually check out your blog. So great to know. But what we're here for today is to talk about the sales enablement charter. And it's a topic that is talked about a fair bit. But I really want to make it tangible for listeners today and really provide them with some not only deeper insights on the nature of the charter, but also how they can go about developing one. But let me start out by asking you, what is your definition of a chart, sales enablement charter and what is the purpose? To me, if you break it down to its most basic intention, a charter is your plan. It is your plan for how you're going to move ahead with enablement, whether it's a new discipline or if you're evolving it. And the intent is also to bring everybody along with you so they understand where they participate, where they play, where they're accountable, so that you can be successful on the other side. Excellent. So there's a big alignment component to it. Is that fair to say? It's huge to say, Felix. I've had many conversations over my career, but just in the past year, I think enablement, if you look at it within an organization, it's one of the most, if not the most collaborative organization in the entire business, because we have to be. When you think about the various departments that need to touch, talk, or communicate to sales and revenue, 
it is almost all departments within an organization to keep them humming and knowing what they need to know. Now, if we make it more specific, and you mentioned it's the plan that outlines what enablement will do, what specifically should be covered in a good enablement charter? Like, what are the headlines that you would typically consider going into the exercise of developing a sales enablement charter? It's the basics of who we are and what we do. So I would start with an enablement charter, you know, why? Why are we changing? What is the disconnect between where we want to go with performance and where we are today? I think the second thing is who we are. So especially when an enablement function is just starting, it's important to share that with the organization, who we are and who do you go to for what? What we do. So again, if it's a new function and or if you're changing, you need to communicate that out to the teams that you serve, but also the teams that you partner with so they know when to come to you and when to collaborate. And I would say how we play. So what are the rules of the game? How do you engage with enablement? When should they be coming to you? And then I think within that, you need to blow out and where Mike's book specifically helps the building blocks of enablement is in what are all of the various components that you should be thinking about to create your plan. And that is within your sales process, your sales methodology, analytics and metrics. I don't want to seal all of his thunder, but Mike really, I think, gives a nice foundation of all of the different things that you should be thinking about as you are building out your charter and your enablement function and plan. Now, when it comes to actually developing the charter, what would typically be the process that you follow in developing a charter? So who would you typically involve and which steps would you specifically take to develop a sales enablement charter? It's interesting, Felix, and I think it depends on the situation that you're in. And I say that because I have developed two enablement charters in the past year. One was for a company. It was a project, so I was not actually embedded within the organization. And that was a different approach than the approach I had today at Ascent, where I am an employee within the organization. So I'll start with the first. But both tracks honestly had similarities as well. I think the first thing in starting a charter and the first thing when you are starting in any position that is new is to learn about what is happening, how they do things, because it's important not to break what is working really, really well. And it's important to understand where an organization is. And no two companies have been in the same place for enablement at any given time when I've looked at them. And I say that from the perspective of I used to lead a division of enablement and had five different businesses within that division. So it's interesting to see and to identify where business is and what levers you can pull and push to really help them. So I started with conversations. And from there, I asked folks what was working and what they thought could be improved. Without trying to diagnose it myself, those folks have the insights group. They are the ones that are doing the work. But then you, I started to pull together all of the components of who are the right stakeholders that we should be pulling in from marketing, who are the right folks that we should be getting a perspective from, you know, human resources many times has overlap with an enablement with product, the different players. Your role right now is looking after revenue enablement. Would you say there's differences between the nature of a sales enablement charter and something that you would need to develop to accommodate your needs in revenue enablement? Yes, 
And that's an awesome question, Felix, because it's really cool. Light rule at Ascent is the first time that I have really expanded to revenue enablement. So it is not just purely a focus on the sales team or account management team. And so it is unique, but what is really cool is that the framework and the principles are the same. What we are trying to do with an enablement is performance enhancement, helping our revenue teams perform at their highest possible level at that given time and into the future. And so even though today revenue enablement for me also includes professional services, I mentioned the frameworks are the same. So we look to understand what the job is that those folks are trying to do, what does good look like, and then map that out with the various stakeholders that need to touch, talk, and, and reach them. Right, right. So it adds an additional element of stakeholder management to the development as well, which probably extends into the functions, at least the functions that you're also tasked to enable, if not also the functions that are contributing to that enablement in that space as well. Do you think there's functions contributing to the enablement of those other teams that you enable that are typically not involved in the sales enablement space? No, but I think the percentages and the focus is a little bit different. So for example, product marketing partners quite a bit with our sales leadership and with me for our go-to-market strategies and how we roll things out to the sales team where they are not quite as involved when it comes to professional services because they aren't as related to those teams. But professional services does need to understand how to speak to the value that they are implementing. So for professional services, we probably have more of a focus from our product team. So when we have releases, those are the folks that need to know the nuances in and out. And so it's thinking about what does each individual role need and what does that job do? And then you enable it with the frameworks that work. When we take the case of a sales enablement charter, that's probably, you know, if you have one sales enablement team that is looking after sales enablement, that's probably the most straightforward scenario. But then you have scenarios like revenue enablement, like in your case, where it gets a bit more complex. But then at times, there's also very large enablement teams that also look after partner enablement, for example. How would you recommend a charter for large enablement teams to be structured to make sure that everybody's respective nuances are reflected, but at the same time, it still doesn't become a massive administrative effort and it's still digestible, especially for stakeholders. What we have done at Ascent is almost put together a grid of our foundation of what we consider the foundational pieces for a charter or for enablement. And we monitor where we are with those various components so the various components, Felix, that I think are consistent across the board are things like new hire onboarding, ongoing development, and then metrics and dashboards to monitor everything that you do so that you are seeing that performance. To me, those three things are kind of your base levels. And so the onboarding and what you need to train to sales, to professional services, to customer success is all different because they have different roles within the team. But those foundational pieces of how we get folks learning and keep them up to speed once they're up and running is similar. And so those are our different programs, if you will, that we are consistently building across the teams while giving flexibility for all of them to be nuanced. 
So just to make this super tangible for our listeners, and especially those that haven't developed a self-enablement charter yet or an enablement charter in general, and they might not be able to imagine what that would actually look like. What is the format of a charter, actually? Is it a Word document? Is it a PowerPoint presentation? What does it typically look like? Honestly, I think it needs to work for you. But to me, I have a couple of different working documents. I have a work in progress that is my core, which is a spreadsheet. And so I move things around, whether that is the org chart, as we are starting to plan out what the team looks like in the future and how many folks are in each department, how many enablement professionals do we need to support that. And then I have various tabs for metrics for the different plans that we have in place to keep myself in order. But what I actually share out with stakeholders is a presentation that is really condensed and it's visual into who we are and what we do so that it is simple for our stakeholders to have a sense of what that is and we can dig deeper into conversations if we need to. So what would be the main difference between the spreadsheet version that you have and your PowerPoint presentation? What is some of the information that might be captured in the spreadsheet version that is not reflected in the PowerPoint version? The spreadsheet is going to have all of the weeds. My presentation is going to have the overview. And I also use my spreadsheet as my working document and the presentation is more the finished product. Got it. In terms of the process of developing the charter, as you talk to the different stakeholders, your spreadsheet would be where you capture information along the way. Is that how you use it? It is, but it's kind of cool in that at Ascent, we use Google. So it's a very collaborative space to be and we use Google Sheets. And so to a previous question you asked, Felix, given that we are global, given that we are revenue enablement, not just sales, I share out my charter with the folks on my team to validate and to help bring in their perspectives. So my sales enablement manager knows her stakeholders in and out more so than I do. So I want her eyes and her confirmation that I've got the right folks nominated and that we're adding them in as they join the organization too. It takes a village, Felix, (laughs) (laughs) to keep us up to date and to keep us running. Yeah. So keyword up to date It is obviously important to make sure that the charter remains updated, right? And it actually remains a relevant point of reference. How do you actually make sure that it's continuously updated? That is an excellent question, too. And I think it depends on how the speed of how quickly your business moves. At Ascent, we move pretty quickly. So I am monitoring and editing and updating our charter every quarter. And that is in line with how quickly our business goals are shifting just to ensure that enablement is keeping pace with the different departments. I'd also found in my time, Felix, that enablement can't drive enablement. It needs to be the departments that we serve and the goals that they have, and we help them run faster. But it's important to ensure alignment. So in terms of the actual updating process, like is that a question of just revisiting the presentation and running those individual stakeholders through the presentation again? Do you share your spreadsheet and ask if it needs updating? Do you ask the question yourself within the team and then task them in updating their respective areas? What does that process of the update of the chart actually look like? In my tenure, I have picked up a couple of tricks and trades. One of the things that we do with our team is we have quarterly workshops where the enablement team comes together 
We sharpen each other. We also have a look back on our performance and a look ahead at what we're doing. And that's really the timing when we update our charter. So as we have changes, we talk about it in that meeting there. It is updated and shared out, but it is a collaborative work in progress where my team is working within the charter with me. Now, as with any sort of documentation and especially documentation like the charter that is relevant to other departments, there's always a fine line between actually creating documentation that is actionable and relevant. And then the other side of the equation is oftentimes I have come across it and I have also seen critics of enablement charters voicing that point is that it can be perceived as being administrative overhead. People go through the motions because there might be a senior executive sponsor that tells them to do so. But then at the end of the day, they don't remember what is being put in the charter or they don't live it. What do you say to those critics that say that about enablement charter? And what would your suggestion be to avoid that sort of issue of the charter being perceived as administrative overhead? I would argue that it is important to keep your charter up to date in some form of cadence. And again, it should be in line with the speed at which your business moves, whether it's quarterly, biannually, or annually, because your charter, depending on how you define it, but I define it as my plan. It is my strategic plan in what my team is doing, who, what, when, where, and how, and how the rest of the organization should be working with us so that we're being proactive. Amy, thank you so much for sharing your insights on the enablement charter with us today. If anybody wants to pick your brain on your experience of developing enablement charters, where can they find you online? They can absolutely find me on LinkedIn. I do spell my first name a little bit differently. So look for A-I-M-E-E, but please reach out and don't be shy. Awesome. We'll add a link to the show notes. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining today. Thank you, Felix. Next time on the State of Sales Enablement. In a market environment where cost-cutting is business as usual, the pressure enablers experience is real. This can lead to feeling like they aren't capable or qualified to meet expectations, a phenomenon commonly known as imposter syndrome. 